Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 10. I'm Greg Northey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined, as always, by Mill Proyer of QGI Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. How are you doing today, Milt? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. So we're going to 9 and 10 in this podcast. We had a hiatus last week. Um, yeah, CP still looking great. So let's start with CN. Um, what did you see in week nine and now in week 10 and what could potentially be ahead of us for, for CN? Well, week nine uh, kind of broke the mold on what was a downward trajectory for CN, which I think kind of started in week six and went through six, seven, eight. And we saw, you know, performance was still respectable. It was in the 80% range in each of those weeks with week eight, I think, being the lowest at that time at 80% or 81%. So we had had this downward trajectory for three weeks. And then in week nine, they had a bit of a, a bump up, which, um, you know, at the time looked like a pretty positive sign. And they came in around 88% order fulfillment, which was one of their, you know, better performances through the first nine weeks. Um, but then in week 10, um, they kind of went the other way again. And actually, although not by a lot, uh, turned in their worst performance of the current grain year with 79% order fulfillment. So, you know, we'll see what 11 and 12 do as we go through the next couple of weeks. But right now, if you look at that trend, week nine, which was the best week of the five, uh, looks like the aberration. And the other weeks where performance was declining and down looks more like the trend. And, you know, the issue has been relatively consistent for CN through this stretch. And it's kind of about the West Coast corridors of Prince Rupert and Vancouver. Um, and that, you know, it was particularly bad in week 10, particularly at Prince Rupert. Um, but it's not isolated to week 10 performance and it's been kind of up and down for the last month and a half. Uh, and we see it more weeks than we don't. And, you know, while that performance in that, those corridors is not good for anybody, um, what's been troubling in some ways is that it's, it's disproportionately affected the province Alberta, whose shippers rely the most on those corridors, uh, just by virtue of geography and, and commodity. Um, Alberta shippers who move their product with CN ship probably 90% plus of their grain to the West Coast between Vancouver and Prince Rupert. And this slide with CN over this five-week stretch or four-week stretch has not treated you know, Alberta-based shippers uh, very well. And if you go back to week seven, uh, you know, Alberta saw 65% order fulfillment in week eight, it bumped up a little to 67. Week nine was looking promising, as was the overall system performance at 76%. And then this past week, week 10, it dipped back under 70%. And, you know, while CN's performance hasn't been great in those corridors on a system basis, it's been uneven to say the least. Alberta has seen the worst of it. It hasn't been nearly as bad in Saskatchewan, which is also highly dependent on those corridors. And it hasn't been that bad in Manitoba, which you know, are not near as dependent as the other two provinces on shipping to the West Coast, but they do do some volumes there. 
So Alberta, in a bit of a pickle, I would say, with CN, has been for the better part of a month now. And um, it's starting to look like it's kind of a localized issue. Uh, when we look at the data in detail, it's starting to look like, you know, the problems or the performance issues, let me phrase it that way, are very much focused on northern Alberta and into the Peace region. So when you get up into places like you know, Peace River and Nampa and, and all of those places, Grimshaw. That's where the that's where the performance is really lagging uh, for CN. And you know, it's tough to surmise what the issue is, but when you start to see, based on experience, I'll I'll characterize it with that statement. When you start to see persistent local issues like that. Um, or localized issues like that, you often think that, you know, uh, train crews may be an issue, which is why, you know, empty cars are not getting spotted, the loaded cars are not getting pulled. So whether or not that's the case for CN uh, in this particular instance, uh, I don't know, but it's, it's starting to look like that might be at least one of the contributing factors. Is that is that particular region melt uh, like operate more operationally challenging? Is that why potentially they wouldn't have as have the crews they need? Like, so the route the routing from that would have to come south, I assume, right through Edmonton from from that region. Yeah, I mean, if you look at CN's network, the the, the most northern you know place that they kind of go to for grain is high level, which is you know way way up north. The only place you can go farther than high level is you kind of hit the north northwest territories border. Um, at uh, Hay River. So, and you come down from there and you come through the Peace region. So everything flows south. And if it's going to the West Coast, it's, it's uh, well, there's two streams actually. There's a stream that will come down through Edmonton, depending on which side of the Peace region you're on, east or west. And there's another stream that will come down and come online at Swan Landing, uh, which is just east of Jasper. So yeah, absolutely. Everything has to flow south to CN's main line. You know, I don't know that it's any more uh, isolated than, than other parts of CN's network. I mean, so I don't, I don't, I can't comment on difficulties in trying to retain crews or position crews in those locations. I guess all I'm saying is that, you know, based on my 15 years of railway experience working for CN, and based on my 20 plus years of consulting in this business, when you see a pattern like this, um, you kind of tend to get to a point where you think that that's likely a contributing factor. And that's where I think we are. What other commodities would be coming out of that area? Is that oil and gas that would sort of be using that same? That same um, there's some forest products, certainly. There's... Uh, Although not that far uh, north, um, there's coal, sulfur, not a significant amount of oil and gas, I don't think. I mean, you certainly got that on the Fort McMurray side, which is, you know, much farther east um, out of Edmonton than these particular locations. So it's quite heavy uh, grain dependent. I don't know if they're technically grain dependent branch lines. I don't think so. But um, I would say grain and forest products are likely the two largest commodities that are coming down that, that section of, uh, of railway. 
Well, definitely something worth uh, worth watching there if that trend continues. On the CP side, on the other hand, um, not a lot to report. Uh, they still look really good. Yeah, it's remarkable, actually, I think is, a, is an appropriate description. They have been um, as consistent as I have seen performance by either railway um, for a long, long time. Like CP, for the most part, has been... 98, 99, 100% order fulfillment performance week in and week out through the first 10 weeks of this grain year. And only two of those 10 weeks have they actually had to carry unfilled orders into the following week. The first time they had, I think, a total of 100 cars that they didn't fulfill in one week, carried it into the next. And then they had another week where they had like 11 cars that they didn't fulfill for one particular order, and that got carried over. Apart from that, their slate has been absolutely clean in the other eight weeks, which is really remarkable. Um, so kudos to CP. They're consistent at a system level, week in, week out. They're consistent in performing across all their corridors. And they seemingly have adjusted uh, pretty well to, you know, some uh, little bit of what I would describe as up and down demand, which we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, later in the podcast, you know, unlike other years, uh, volumes have not been steady, if you will, week in and week out and, and following the normal uh, peak shipping period pattern. Uh, but whether up or down in any given week, CP seems to have handled it very well. So good on them. Yeah, great on them. Well, let's move on to the demand side. We talked a lot about at the beginning of this grain year around the expectation around demand. Um, let's check in on that. Uh, what are we seeing looking ahead now, now that we've had a few, uh, few months in the books on this grain year? I guess I would say that we've, we're seeing signs of uh, small V volatility um, in demand on a week-to-week basis. More broadly, I think you could say that the overall demand curve is... Uh, behaving uh, much as you would expect it to at this time of year is, you know, August is typically slow. It was super slow this year, but typically slow. Things start to ramp up in September and then through October, November, December, and sometimes into January, the peak shipping period. So, you know, the demand curve tends to go pretty steep once you hit the middle of September. And we are seeing that pattern. We're just seeing it at lower levels, if you will, considered to last year. The volumes are starting to more closely resemble, if you will, the three-year trailing average. So it's not as much of an aberration, perhaps, as it seemed to be earlier in the year. But, you know, it's not, it's not looking stable, I guess, is what I would say. You know, we had a slow start in August. There's no question about that. Things started to pick up in September, as we would have expected them to. And then the early part of October, at least as far as we can see, which is through the third week, which is this week, a um, little less settled. Um, now, just to put some numbers around you know, those descriptors, when we look back at August, um, shipper demand for railway supplied hopper cars was averaging about 4,400 cars a week. And that was with a, a not insignificant uptick in the last couple of weeks in August, where they were over 5,000. September went up a, a step, 
uh, we went from 4,400 to an average of about 8,800 cars a week, so double. Um, and then October, we're through three weeks or so, we're looking at an average of about 8,400 cars. And that includes, you know, a, a, what we think is going to be a dip this week, week 12, uh, potentially under 8,000. So it, it's kind of been uh, up and down, which is a little bit odd. Um, if, if I had to surmise, I would say it's likely related to, uh, you know, the uncertainty or the unevenness of the grain supply because of the questionable harvest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, grain companies are trying to time, you know, their logistics chains to match railway hopper car orders with inbound grain from farmers. And when you have, you know, that level of uncertainty in, in your inbound pipeline, which is the grain coming in by truck to the elevator, it's difficult to plan the logistics out from the elevator. So I think we're seeing some of that, whether that remains the case, um, I guess time will tell us. Well, now to wrap up, um, let's look at the ATC daily reports. So for those of you who are listening, you probably know, but we, the ATC daily reports, look at the state of the overall system, uh, to way to, to track how many cars are online. Um, in the past few days, we've seen a significant change in the numbers, Mill. Can you unpack a little bit what we're seeing and potentially what it may mean? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, when we, um, we've seen some up and down performance when we look at, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and really with the numbers you focus on are uh, the cars being unloaded at the major ports and how that relates to the number of cars that are online every day. And within that subset, the number of cars that are online, but have been, you know, standing on their wheels for 48 hours or more so-called idle cars or cars not moving. And it's been, you know, uneven at best, I would say, uh, for both railways, really, not, uh, not to pick on one over the other, because they've both had their, uh, their ups and downs here in, in recent weeks. But when we looked at the numbers this morning, we've got almost 11,000 cars online today, which is a big number given what we've seen recently. We haven't seen a number like that in over four months, probably longer than that, going back to the early spring as, as shipments were winding down. Um, so that was kind of an eye opener. And, and those numbers really came about in the last 72 hours. So the number of cars online built up quickly as we were back around the 9,200 cars and that number went to almost 11,000 basically since last Friday. But the other thing that we saw happening at the same time, which is really what a, you know, the area of concern would be, is that we've seen port unloads on the West Coast in particular, uh, Vancouver, uh, go down quite a bit. And at the same time, we've seen the number of idle cars or cars not moving for 48 hours or more rise dramatically. So for the last two weeks, the system has averaged about 2,000 cars a day. Uh, not moving for 48 hours or more. And from last Thursday to um, yesterday, that number went from about 1,700 to almost 3,500. So, you know, even though demand doesn't look like it's higher, 
there's uh, building traffic levels. And what that tells you generally is that the throughput rate on the system is slowing down, which makes sense when you look at unloads because so much of the traffic is going to, you know, Vancouver and Prince Rupert and Thunder Bay. Um, and Vancouver's unload performance has not been good the last few days. The question is why it's been raining there, which doesn't typically affect unloading of cars, but can affect loading of ships. Um, so we really don't know. Like we really kind of just saw this today. Um, so if it keeps up, I think it's an area to be concerned with. Uh, often though, this thing will kind of resolve, self-resolve itself over the next 48 to 72 hours. So that's what we'll be watching for. Okay. Thanks, Milt. And thanks for all your insights today. For those of you who'd like to see the Ag Transport Coalition reports, you can go to www.agtransportcoalition.com and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.